That's yeah. all right. Because we we did everything. We went a little. Look. We went a little political. We went a little all that yeah. stuff. So I might tell some really bad stories here yeah. that can't are not suitable for company interest. Right. Uh, <laughs> I know. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like we have to make They're sure. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and here's the thing: the key always is honesty yeah. above everything else, sure. right? That's the most important factor with uh, most of this stuff. So, welcome back, everybody, to the Brains for Gains podcast. As always, my co-host, I'm here, Rob. Ready to roll, Big Daddy. Yeah, and today's guest is? KT, Ken Taylor. How y'all doing? Um, And of course, like any podcast based around the fitness world, we have to do the obligatory gear episode, the steroid episode. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about that, specifically the establishment that was kind of behind that and stuff. Um, And KT, where do you kind of come from when it comes to that? In terms of? in regards to how it started, my introduction to it, my first yeah. Let's do a at. let's do a bit for bit okay. breakdown. Like, okay. how did it start, and then where did you see it in the professional world? And let's move right. on from there. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, we knew we knew if you were back in those days and you were putting your body together, we knew that nutrition was super important. If you're a bodybuilder, you become more well versed than any nutritionist ever thought about being because you're such a practitioner on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You have to measure every gram of everything that goes in your body. But something was missing. Some guys were able to really maximize optimum muscle gains and even through caloric deprivation not minimize any of the poundages that they had picked up through those maximum gains of training. And people couldn't figure out what the difference was. And the difference was a positive nitrogen balance provided by either anabolic or androgenic steroids. Mm -hmm. Now, there's mixed messages from, you know, different sources that say, how did they come to this country in the first place? Where did we, and we kind of briefly talked about that last time a little bit. We talked about how uh, some of our uh, generals and stuff back in the wars experienced things out of the Nazis and stuff, and they interrogated them, and they found out that Hitler was putting all of his troops on Dynaball, which was a 5-milligram anabolic steroid orally, and it made them more aggressive, it made them stronger, it had them more energy and increase, of course, their testosterone levels. Right. Their body was in that positive nitrogen balance that I'm talking about, so they're able to withstand and go longer and have more endurance and all the things that we hear so much about performance-enhancing drugs. But you got to go back to my era. So my era started in the late 70s, early 80s. And in the late 70s and early 80s, our medical community was basically burying their heads in the sand when it came to anabolic steroids or androgenic steroids. Mm-hmm. They were like, this is totally placebo. There are no proven fact that any athlete could be enhanced in their performance by using any such drug. <laughs> What's crazy is that um, even within like the Corson book, it specifically says that every single package of Diana Ball came with a note that said, does not increase athletic ability. Absolutely. I remember it, I remember it well. And uh, so, you know, it was now the funny thing about it is now that I go back to those days, there were actually some general practitioner, medical doctors, I won't mention their names, but they were actually prescribing it to high school football players back in even the late 60s. -hmm. And they were doing it for kids that struggled with weight gain and struggled with gaining strength and muscle, even though they were training hard, whatever. They were just, you know, real hard gainers. So that was being done then. So, you know, you kind of got to ask yourself from the objective of an even playing field, when did the playing field get contaminated, no matter what sport, and how did the athletes perceive and deal with that? Well, most of them, most of them want to compete fairly, but does fairly mean that okay, we're all enhanced or none enhanced or half enhanced? 
you know, that's kind of a hard variable to figure out. And that's what's been going on a lot in athletic performance for all the years I've been involved as a strength coach. Yeah, I think really, and, and what's so difficult about that is that that market shift, right? It's almost impossible to pinpoint on a specific time. But, you know, we talked about this last time about evening the playing field. The reality is, is that no matter what, just by the means alone, there is no such thing. What I find and again, what I find disheartening is that we have so much negative stigma for the athletes who do it, right? Because we created this whole shit show around football and then specifically with baseball that blames the athlete for doing this. But, you know, in any other culture, like let's look at my culture, right? Like South Korea, we are a student-based culture first, physical culture second, right? So many of our students are on amphetamines, on any kind of enhancement that you can have to compete within the education field. And nobody blames the kids for doing that because the rigorousness of that, you know, system, it's just so, so harsh, you know? So I feel like, you know, coming into this, you have to first kind of leave that part at the door mm -hmm. that stigma of being a user of 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 anything right really mm -hmm. because i mean how many of us in here like use creatine on a daily basis sure. like we all do right, right. probably all so right yeah so like it's just one of those things where the market kind of deemed that necessary for you to even have the ability to play mm -hmm. and it's crazy to me that it started at like a high school mm -hmm. level but the more i read the more i yeah. see that that's what that's is true. happening and you know and the and the fans don't want to partake in any of the blame, you know, depending on the sport, but they want to see the biggest, strongest, fastest, most badass athlete, period. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to worry about the health risk of those athletes, but they want to see that performance. And we talked about a little bit about Bud Selig, the commissioner of the major leagues last time and how he was happy as he could be that finally, you know, the, the walk, the, the, the time that they had away from baseball when they couldn't sell a ticket. Now these, you know, these stadiums were full and, McGuire was killing it and Sosa was killing it and everybody was happy and everybody knew what was going on within the league, including the commissioner, mm -hmm. but nobody was going to do anything as long as the ticket sales were where they were and the fans were loving what they were seeing and seeing, you know, incredible amounts of home runs being hit and further and longer and all that kind of stuff. So again, I think we have to all accept that we have a little bit of the blame into where we're pushing our sports and where we're pushing our expectations and standards of every single athlete and what they're trying to achieve and do. Right. Because right. I mean, it, it, you know, you can only do so much on your own genetic and your own work ethic. And outside of that, uh, if there's something that's going to enhance performance and uh, in my opinion, if you can just kind of get it to a point where it's the, the same variables for most people, but still, even if you did that, let's say that everybody was still taken and, and we got together as a medical community and say, okay, these substances are accepted and we're going to give all athletes a chance to use these substances to enhance their performance. Mm -hmm. Even then, some would emerge outside of others. Why is that? Well, let's say they have better nutrition with her. Let's say they have better parents. You know, their genetics are better. Right. You know, there's lots of variables coming there. Mm -hmm. So if it was just about performance enhancers, I'd say let's get rid of all that equipment we got out there in the gym and let's just put some pill dispensers up there and we're good to go, right? This doesn't work. That what I find so interesting about that conversation, too, is that we we are now kind of in a much more um, I think I want to I don't necessarily want to say the term understanding culture, mm -hmm. but a culture that's willing to look at each individual problem and say, oh, actually, the root cause is a socioeconomic one. Actually, the root cause is you know, whatever system that's based around that you exist in. But I feel like athletes within within within. The, like the exceptional athletes that we're talking about, they don't necessarily get that benefit of a doubt. Mm -hmm. And it kind of sucks, mm -hmm. you know?
Mm-hmm. I mean, and I don't know, maybe it's because in a way, um, the athletes that are just the biggest, fastest and the strongest kind of represent American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. And that kind of messaging has kind of died down a little bit more and more as time goes on. Mm-hmm. But it's it's sad that we don't either we don't talk about it at all mm-hmm. or when we do, we always want to bring the term that cheating is involved. Right. When in actuality, you and I both know every right. I think everyone in here knows this, the playing field was a subject was a subjective one. Yes. And testing has been subjective. Yeah. Um, as as far as I know, I think the testing procedures, of course, today's time in the NFL are pretty good. They're pretty mm-hmm. stringent. But if you go back to certain teams, you know, they started doing these 30 for 30s on ESPN and all that kind of stuff. And there yeah. some exposés. If you paid attention, um, I think I think it was the, in the 60s, the San Diego Chargers were almost 90% using anabolic steroids to get to where they went in the 60s when they had some success. There wasn't any testing procedures back then. So, I mean, performances or enhancers were done there. In the early 80s in my collegiate coaching, uh, right before the whole steroid probe came out of South Carolina, I knew for a fact that Nebraska and Oklahoma and different schools like that were definitely using performance enhancers because when the kids came in, I saw all the symptoms that I knew and recognized through the bodybuilding powerlifting world right. and each individual. Right. So there was no denying it. Yeah, and you and you know what to look for when you've been around it a lot, and I've been around it many, many days of my life, and mm-hmm. I know the symptoms. And I may be fooled one out of a thousand, one out of two thousand, but I'm not fooled much on what I see. Yeah, I was going to say it's very easy to see the difference between somebody who is high in muscle muscle density versus somebody who's just high in muscle mass alone, right? Yeah, what's interesting too is that within the book he talks about how the a lot of the athletes got so big that their tendons couldn't keep up with them. Right. So they would develop tendonitis yeah. and things like that, yeah. which, uh, I mean, it's nuts that that's the kind of direction that we went. I, I feel like now, nowadays, especially when we look at our high school athletes, like the ones that we work with, um, a lot of them are leaner and a lot of them are more cut. And uh, generally speaking, they're more dense from a bone perspective, right? But not necessarily from a muscle-bound perspective. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's interesting to see that the direction of the sport going towards that way. If we go back to the 80s, um you know, let's take a young athlete. Let's say he was getting into powerlifting or bodybuilding or Olympic lifting or any sport required power and strength. And he knew that he was going to go up against competitors that were using some type of performance enhancers. But he had gone to his doctor. His doctor was going to have nothing to do with it. What was that athlete supposed to do? Well, yeah. I'll tell you what they did in the 80s. In the 1980s, there was another book out called The Underground Book of Steroids, Handbook by Dan Duquesne, mm-hmm. and it was the only guidance for a lot of the kids back there or a lot of the athletes back there, and it went into shotgunning and staggering and just about a list of every type of anabolic or androgenic steroid ever listed, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was uh, Winstrol V or Equipoise or Decadurablin or and an- I'm assuming just, you know, different types and what the side effects were. Right, and how to stack and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, whatever. And so a lot of people were bashing this guy, saying, you know, this guy's he's, he's ridiculous. He's, he should, somebody should lock him up, you know, whatever, whatever. But in a lot of ways, he probably saved some people's lives because he did warn them of the, uh, you know, the, the adverse effects that they might go through and, and what some of the, you know, the problems that they could look for. If they were to en- engage in, in, in a, some type of cycle that were, you know, for the first time, because it, again, that athlete wasn't getting any help from the medical community. So, mm-hmm. you know, what were your options? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because again, we hear this argument all the time, but if you legalize it, the only one that you legalize is the clean use of that specific product, right? So that's kind of what happened in that case. And so today I do see that. I, I, I see it more because I'm older. Uh, most of the, the guys that I will work with now that are over 40 or 50, 60 years old, when they go do blood workups done, whether it be a smack or a swat or whatever, and they come back and their natural testosterone level has dwindled down to 150 or 300, hell, that's more that's more dangerous than having a, a you know a, a kind of high level. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get too low in your natural testosterone level, that's much more dangerous for a lot of things that you can uh, have than opposed to being high. So what do they do? They put them on a testosterone therapy now. That's very commonplace. Right so now. I'm glad you bring that up because we kind of talked about that with Emily in the last mm-hmm. episode, right? We talked about how testosterone as a whole is diminishing within the population. Mm-hmm. Specifically with Emily, what we talked about was that the female testosterone, like uh, they have, I think, 120th the testosterone men do. So if there's a male dip off in testosterone, obviously there'll be a female dip off as well. And that's got to be much more dangerous for them than it is for us. I think you're right, except I'm going to argue with you just a little bit. Okay. And, and I see that, you know, believe it or not, yeah, testosterone and estrogen production within the body a lot of times is curtailed or associated with the productivity of the body. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So if I do things in my manual labor, in my lifting, in my thinking, in my eating that program more testosterone production, my yes. body will produce more. Yeah. I'm not taking any kind of enhancement, but I'm just doing things that naturally promote my own testosterone production. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I alleviate stress out of my deal, if I make sure that uh, every two and a half to three and a half hours, I'm ingesting 42 to 50 grams of high quality protein from the PER ratio. If I'm doing things like that, I'm giving my body a chance to produce more testosterone naturally. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's look at our male population now. Let's look at how sedentary they are. Let's look how locked in they are to their phones. Let's look at how they cope with stress. Let's look how, what was the last time they did an honest day's work where they busted their ass doing something manually? Or just okay. even something as simple as see sunlight, right? I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so I, I mean, I told you guys, I, I was driving down the road. It was a hot day last summer. And this is the epitome of what we're seeing right now. And this poor girl is on the side of the road, and she's changing her tire, and she's got the lug wrench in her hand, and the veins are popping out of her neck. And her boyfriend is leaning on the car on his cell phone, checking out what the hell's going on Instagram. And I'm like, what is happening? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, you know, we we got to get back to men being men, uh-huh. you know, and women being women. I mean, women are, are definitely more aggressive, uh they're bigger in the world. There's more equality, all those kind of things. And I'm fine with all of that. But we're supposed to be masculine. And being masculine means that you are letting your natural testosterone level continue to make you a man every day. And then if you're doing some things that, that subdue that, yeah. then you need to explore that. Well, you know, it's interesting because going back to that, what I find more and more now is that if you go to any like bodybuilding forum or any kind of thing um, dedicated to people you know, communicating about strength. So many people are immediately going, Hey, I worked out six months. I'm not getting the results I want. I want to go straight to PEDs. (laughs) And what sucks, what's so, what sucks so much is that there is so few 
there's there's almost no media when it comes to people researching natural ways to boost testosterone and of course getting a blood panel done to be able to showcase that that happens in my stu- in my search i was only able to find one person who uploaded a video where this person basically got his diet corrected went to the gym more often showed very realistic pro- like progress results and got blood paneling done within i think a 2 year period to showcase a natural rise in testosterone but media like that is so hard to find yeah you're right you know and we used to look at you know let's say we were taking a pool of 20 guys and they were all all on the same pretty much uh, the same nutritional regimen the same training regimen if the average muscle gain per year Mm -hmm. was say four pounds of quality muscle that would be considered a pretty good year right yeah first couple of years especially you should be able to naturally gain four to ten pounds of muscle Mm -hmm. depending on if you're doing all those things that we talked about with proper nutrition proper rest restoration training effectively and efficiently understanding it's about stimulation not annihilation right yeah i like what lee haney said and i mentioned it last time stimulation not annihilation is important for everybody to understand because it kind of puts training out there in front of you to make a choice yeah right yeah and if you're going to think about annihilating the muscle because you think you're going to make it bigger and stronger well let me tell you something unless your restorative power is something sensational that is not the way it's going to happen crazier too is that when you take that into account for tendon strength right it's the only direction for that there's no way you can annihilate tendons and make it stronger you know and to your point earlier you said a lot of times guys would start with an anabolic program and their muscles would get stronger than tendons ligaments and i saw i've seen that happen mm-hmm. forever probably yeah. for the last 30 years yeah. and um you know we'd see it in various different sports uh that i work with not just football whatever the athletes were using we see a ton more tendonitis bursitis condomalacia some type of titus you know where the the inflammation in the joints and we didn't know a lot about muscle friction, skeletal friction in its relationship to how to balance out training like we do now. We're a lot right. better with that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, all of us here are being connected to Tsunami. We know that the big thing there is that I don't know what the percentage is. We will find this out over the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. But we know that the Tsunami material is going to reduce inflammation by at least 60% over steel bar. At least 60 well, and again, it's no surprise then to look at some of the athletes that we like work with specifically within like the competitive world that the tsunami bar is necessary because as far as strength goes, it's like a rocket ship. Right. It's it's out there in space, but there's no way they can land it. Right? right. So they don't think about that part. And now we see it a lot more in different high level, you know, high power, high power production sports. Right. So. So let me ask you guys this. I know we're talking about performance enhancement people think about performance enhancement and you think about bodybuilders getting massive from using performance enhancers but when the muscle actually hypertrophies it's getting the fibers are getting bigger and larger right yes so is that the end all to be all to performance enhancement and when y'all train in the tsunami type of training do you feel that the hypertrophy is less than more than equal to what do you feel that way? And I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be the host of the show now. I just thought I'd ask this question out here. <laughs> well, no, and I'm and, glad you and did. I'm getting to a point in there because I, I can get hypertrophy from the tsunami bar, mm-hmm. but I don't think I get the hypertrophy tears of the actual individual I bands, H bands, sarcomeres within the muscle structure. Right. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, I don't know that for sure, but I can just tell you from 45 years of feel, my recovery is quicker, my soreness is not as deep. 
Mm-hmm. And maybe some of my deep soreness back in the day was more tendon related as well. Yeah. Because of what we're talking about. Yeah. Training with a different material. Right? Uh-huh. But I think you have to look at these things because if we are going to talk about performance enhancement, let's also take into the fact that the knowledge of anabolic and androgenic steroids is greater now than it's ever been. Yes. There are some, some very experienced people that are now opening up and sharing for the first time. Yeah. And the other part is that now is that we have even better nutrition and never better technology to train on. So now it's still a different ball game and the field is still not going to be fair because the more knowledge of these things is still going to change the fairness of the field that you're competing in. Right. Are you with me? Well, and the thing is, is you can never go back, right? right. Like as soon as you start creating opening doors like that, you can never shut them. But going back kind of to the hypertrophy question, I think right now, um, more than ever, what we're starting to realize, and uh, I think there's a lot of, of really, really big companies that are dedicated to the strength and performance world that have written books on top of books about hypertrophy. I think more what we're learning now is that all set ranges, all muscle ranges are hypertrophy to an extent, mm-hmm. yes. right? Yes. And so what we're learning is that density density and mass are not the same thing, right. right? And so in my opinion, and this is just coming from kind of an amateur opinion because I'm not a coach or anything like that. But I think one of the most valuable parts that the tsunami bar does is, is that it kind of works all that level of hypertrophy outside of actual hypertrophy sets in tandem together as a chain, you know, or something along those lines. Yeah. Because it, for the first time in our life, we're actually contracting a muscle faster than we've ever been able to contract the muscle based on the material and the technology of what we have in front of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, let's just face it. I mean, you can only move a steel bar so fast. You can only move a, a iron dumbbell so fast. Yeah. I mean, that's all you can do. Yeah. But that bar with this flexology and the tsunami wave of contractibility just gives you a chance to recruit faster. Now, can you do that? Well, uh, trust me, that's an acquired action mm-hmm. that you have to train because we've never been able to train at, at jet speed or hyperspeed before. We've I th- never have been able to. I think also with the way that strength curves and just gravity, the way that that works, we kind of realize that like with traditional work, with traditional weights, that certain parts of your body fire harder and then there are accessory parts that fire not quite as hard, but is in support of that. Mm-hmm. The tsunami bar kind of throws a wrench into that mm-hmm. system where depending on, like for example, when I front squat with it, mm-hmm. I like to go a little bit like lighter on my grip because when I do that, I can feel my abs working right. at that midway position to make sure, sure that I'm staying stable. Sure. Now, do I normally feel abs when I go heavy on front squats? Right. No, yeah. not at all. It's right. all like in the hips right. and ass, right? right? But now you've completely changed that system sure. to where something else is more pronounced sure. than the original part that it's supposed right. to quote unquote work out. Right. Right? All right. So how about this? So if, if you were trying to be the best that you could be at a technique, yeah, you would really emphasize eccentric contraction, right? Because you know, like, if I go really slow on my negative, I'm setting myself up to be efficient on my concentric, my positive, right? Right. Well, when you go eccentric with a lot of detail on a tsunami bar, mm-hmm. you're unstable as hell Yeah. because of the body. And yeah. we've never experienced that before. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, now, yeah. So now, if I'm really unstable on my eccentric, yeah, I can be more powerful on my concentric, but I still got to stay within the efficiency of my strength curve. Mm-hmm. You with me? Yeah. So again, that that changes the whole game of contractibility as well. And what's interesting about that is that again, what more and more we're starting to find. Like I talked about this with Carl this morning, but when you look at these athletes that are dominating within the play field, they're not the ones that are 
doing grinder style sets, right? They're they're either performing at something around the range of an RP seven or eight, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. something that they can do with minimal slowdown, mm-hmm. like that Nick, Nick Chubb video, right? When he's squatting, yes. very limited yes. slowdown as sure. far as that shooting up, right, right? right? And it's like that actually translates to the field while something like a decelerated low bar squat really doesn't, right? So I don't know. It's interesting to see, you know. You know, if you you can relate this to, I can definitely tell you, you can relate this to anything that is um, striking with an implement, say a skill of striking with an implement where there's a rotation to an extension. Mm-hmm. If you swing slower, you will swing slower. If you train slower, you will, you will swing slower. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You have to get faster. Yeah. And so, you know, that pretty much relates to just about every, every, every sport skill, motor skill, that you got to learn how to train faster at some point. And, and so, again, we would use back in the day, uh, even with performance enhancers, you could probably even do it better, but we would, I mean, we would do 10-second negatives, 20-second negatives, 30-second negatives, just eccentric, so slow you couldn't believe it. And you could actually feel almost, if you could, if you had a kinesthetic sense, almost that tear down within the muscle. Literally the stretching, right? Exactly. Yeah. You were just yeah. putting it at such slow eccentric dress. Now, was there anything compatible into making your fast glycetic or fast oxidative glycetic fibers beneficial from doing that? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Were you causing hypertrophy within the muscle size itself to get better? Possibly. So I'm saying to people right now is that, you know, performance enhancers, as we say, are something to learn a lot about because even if you if you took them or you didn't take them, you still need to know what's all involved with them for sure. Mm-hmm. But we have so many training variables to look at now. I think it's important for us to become educated and not just take the generic prescription of what's out there to try to get better because you're just you're just losing. You're giving up too much to the field that way. Yeah, and you know, and I think there's going to have to be a little bit more careful thought because again, we have entered into a time now where it is more popular than ever to be either on. A PED or a SARM. In fact, it is so easy to buy now that anybody can get a blood panel online done and then just go immediately into that route. Well, there's so much you lose, I feel like, when you do that immediately straight off the bat, right? There's a lot of muscle-mind connection and a lot of that you lose. But really, the nuance related to technique, you lose that completely, yeah. you know? All right, so on a personal note, I will tell you that I have been using a SARM for about a year maybe 14 months now, mm-hmm. I use Ostrom. Um, what I'm finding with Ostrom is it it replaced the days of old when I was trying to get a lower body fat level. I would have to use liquid carnitine. I would have to use a prescription thyroid kicker like a proloid or thyroxin or something that you would give somebody who had hypothyroidism. But in my case, I was a bodybuilder trying to get more ripped up for yeah. the show. So I'd try to enhance my my metabolism. So I might use Cytomil, I might use something like that. The SARM, which is a product that you can get in the nutritional store now, Mm -hmm. is doing the same things as those three did, you know, years ago. That's how far advanced we've gotten. We've gotten to the point, yeah, we've literally gotten to the point where there is now a prescribable almost multivitamin when it comes, or a multi-acting thing when it comes to getting the results that you want. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the commercial break of the Brains for Gains podcast. This is the part where I talk to you about the companies that we represent. We represent William Strength, Tsunami War Sports, and Total Strength and Speed. 
So everything you hear by no means comes from an unbiased party since we are within the exercise science world, but almost all the information that is being spoken of or talked about within the episode is usually a part of a clinic or something along those lines. So again, these are anecdotal stories, but you know, these are knowledge bombs that we kind of learn as we do more and more stuff within this industry. Yeah, well, what you just mentioned about the parent getting all sideways because their kid might yeah. have suggested using a steroid or, or yeah. got caught using the steroid. And again, I just want to uh, fill in the audience. We weren't necessarily rolling at the time, but what I was saying was that, you know, uh, Steve Corson, because I'm reading that book specifically about him, they were around in a time when, uh, you know, doing steroids would basically have to, you know, you have to listen to all the bullshit on the news and you'd have to basically lose your parents approval to be able to do something like this. So there is a sacrifice, you know, related to it already from that level. And that's just the beginning levels. Right. And a lot of it stems from a lack of education. They just don't know. Yeah. People don't know. They just immediately jump to a conclusion of how negative or how bad or how fatal this is going to be because they're using something that in their mind is, uh, is unapproved. Mm -hmm. Same thing happened with creatine. Exact same thing, which you can buy over the counter and Walmart right now. I remember, I remember hearing oh, all the crazy it stories crazy. of people just so saying all they the have wrestlers side are effects. dying because they're taking creatine. Yeah. Well, they're dying because they're in a rubber suit and a sauna trying to make weight. And had had enough water in the last yeah, They're dehydrated hours. like crazy. Not it's to ridiculous. mention also to head trauma and all that stuff related with uh, that well, sport there's a as lot, well. There's a lot of things going on, but yeah. it comes back to they just don't know. And, yeah. you know and, the, and the mothers that didn't like creatine just had uh, 12 grams of creatine in the chicken breast that they had in the last two days. <laughs> but but they're, is, so they're consuming it themselves, but they're just not aware. Or hell, or, or an energy drink, right? Like yeah. it's an energy it's, drink it's now every, too. It's you every, know? Yeah. every protein that you eat. So yeah. the... They just people just have to be informed before they start drawing conclusions about topics they have absolutely no knowledge about. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side of that, I know lots of kids. I know KT has coached lots of kids. I know you know lots of kids that the uh, first thing they want to do, just like you said earlier, they want to work out three weeks and get on. Which is insane to me. Man. Yeah, you got to build a foundation. So. Not even, I mean, these kids are not even on a They're not ready. Remotely, they're not even close to ready. Remote, they don't even know where they're going to be. They don't know what they're doing. They're, they're not, not even doing 10% of like a program that makes sense. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Right? And so. then let's just talk about from the physiological side. If your epicyl cartilage platelets don't seal till you're 20 years old, if your hormonal levels hadn't reached their peak until you're in your 20s, why would you even want to put anything artificial into what's already being programmed in your body right now? Right. And you haven't even used it to its efficiency. Yeah. So that's just a, just a total bad way of thinking. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, most of the kids that I meet, if they've had de decent upbringing, when I say decent upbringing, I mean, they've had stimuli of manual labor. Yeah. We'll keep going back to that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. They've, they're, they're lean enough and muscular enough from doing hard work and chores. Yeah. Right? that the musculature is starting to get that blend of density and delineation and muscularity and definition, all those cool things, even though they might not be on a super lifting program. Right? Yeah, yeah. So now their body's ready to accelerate. And the last thing they need is to confuse their body by going ahead and putting something artificial in there because their natural growth patterns are starting to develop and their natural levels are so high. It's funny you'd say that because, uh, you know, when I was talking to Ab, he was like, I don't really know why I'm so strong. And I said, it's because you did hypertrophy on a farm for 
to 10 plus years or 20 plus years. You know, Herschel, Herschel Walker, what was the thing he said? He said, I'd take a giant pile of dirt and shovel it until it was a little pile of dirt. And of course that guy goes in and what benches 350 first time, you know, easy. Yeah. I mean, it just translates over to that. I've coached those guys. Calvin Steven was one of my offensive linemen at Carolina and he was from Kings Mountain, North Carolina. And the only thing they had in their weight room, they had a bench press, they had a squat rack. And I'm missing something here. They had incline. Yeah. Yeah. So he came in, his pecs were enormously huge, but so unsymmetrical with the rest of his body. It was crazy, but he had good quads, too. <laughs> yeah. And one thing we would do with those. Man, that bodybuilder mind always comes you know, through, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I so believe it. as freshmen coming in, we'd always kind of test their strength in a couple of different ways. But one thing we'd do, we'd have them put their body weight on their bar to see what they could do, just to give us an idea. Yeah, yeah. So he came anyway, 285, and he knocks out 23 reps of 285 first day as a freshman. I'm like... We got a potential 600-pound venture right here. <laughs> By the time I got him into his senior year, my man was close to 600 pounds. Oof. So, you know, it. but had he grown up a different the, – the funny thing to that is I took him right over there when I got him off the bench press, gave him a set of dumbbells for the first time in his life, and 40 pounds was whipping his ass. That's he stabilization. Him, yeah. Yeah, 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 he had yeah. no stimuli. He had no history with him. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so funny, too, because, like, this is kind of going off topic, but all of a sudden now all these, like, influencers and, like, quote-unquote, like, uh, programmers that are more well-known are now saying, you can't just do straight barbell workouts. You always have to do, like, dumbbell or something counteractive. that. It's like, we I mean, we've always known that. I don't know why all this stuff is coming back in a vote. Well, it doesn't sell the product very well, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you can, you know, one of KT's stories is talking about a strong guy is – uh, the guy that lifted the cow or the calf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's all he did, and he lifted yeah. it every day. And you tell the story better than uh, much better than I do. But the the synopsis of the story is, as the cow would grow, he went out there and picked it up and lifted it every day. It got heavier every day, uh, so his strength kept up with it until you know it's a full grown cow. And he that's the that's cow. the that's the Hercules. Uh, the, that's what he did. Right. Yeah. He yeah. played with a lion until it got big enough to where that's it started it. being a problem, and yeah. then I saw he got strong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, the first universal machine that I ever saw, I guess, was, uh, had to be early 70s. Yeah. Okay. The first one they put together. And they had these little labels on there. And they said, strength can be enhanced by gradual, progressive weight resistance. And it was a simple little sentence, mission statement, if you will. Yeah. But you just think about that. If every day you gradually tried something a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, you would really start to realize what your physical potential is. Mm-hmm. They talk about how much of our, our brain power we use and how much, you know, are we using 30 or 40% of our physical prowess. Right. You know, it will never be tested if people don't get into the actual philosophy that gradual sequential progressions are the way to approach everything in life. Mm-hmm. As much as I'd love to get rich today, it's probably going to take a while, you know what I mean? Yeah. And to get stronger and to get more developed in my body and to get better at a sports skill and to get better at a motor skill and to get better at my recovery, these are things that it, it comes one day at a time and just trying to push a little bit more than you did the day before. And it also gives your mind the psychological time to be able to make those adjustments as well. Because as we're talking about these performance enhancers, we haven't even touched on the placebo and the psychological side. You know, again, the doctors for so many years were saying, you know, if you gave 20 people in an antibox steroid in group one and 20 people in an antibox steroid in group two, but actually the one in group two was not really a steroid. It was just whatever. That's a false sugar tablet, pill, sugar yeah. pill, whatever. There'd be six or seven people 
in that group that made tremendous gains mm-hmm. because psychologically they thought they were doing that. Right. And, and the placebo effect is a real deal. And it's a real deal in all the sports and all the training. So well, we have to account that into the whole equation of performance enhancers as well. And it's funny because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm someone who's like clean, but also it's, it's so funny to see like, we always called that the supplement effect, right? Which right. is you're on some new supplement. There's barely any research on it or whatever, but you get all, you get all these great results from it because you're just actually following the programming to the T, not overshooting and actually doing the work that you should do. And it's, yeah. and it's, and again, that's sometimes the little edge that you need to be able to, you know, do more. Right. That reminds me beyond of this. This is an awesome story, Robbie, and you you remember this because this is going back to Atlanta when we were around South Cobb. Right, right. There, there were some gyms in Atlanta. You had Coffee's Gym and Cable's Gym. Oh, and yeah. American Fitness on South Cobb. And uh, I, was, I was running some fitness centers called Racket House Fitness Centers. I was an area director there. But you would go in these gyms and you would observe all these people. Now, if I went to, like, a body mechanics one time, um, was a very hardcore gym that I trained in sometime, and I would watch the guys that I knew were using performance enhancers. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about the observation of all that was going down was I could tell you which one of the five, let's say there were five subjects, I would tell you which one of the five were using it instead of misusing it and abusing it, and I would tell you which one of the five would sustain most of his gains after he was off cycle. Yeah. Because literally... Within a week to two weeks' time, the other four guys that would come off a cycle would dwindle up to nothing. Mm-hmm. Talk about a psychological problem. I know. You've been strong. You've been you're moving these weights around. you got all this great size on you, and all of a sudden you take two weeks off of this drug, and all of a sudden you're going back to you know where you couldn't stand yourself before. Yeah. Where's the psychological scars there? And it's because the work was never there in the first place, just like we're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Because if the work and the base had been there before, the techniques had been there before, and all you used it was for that little bit of nitrogen balance in your system to let you work a little harder, if you chose to with great work ethic, now you're actually making real gains and not just maybe some water retention that you would get from using certain androgens that are going to cause you to retain more water anyway. Right. Right. I think I think it's interesting to kind of talk about the on-off cycle aspect of it because more research is coming out now that says that once you're enhanced just once, even once, your ability to retain muscle and to regain muscle is 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 exponentially greater than somebody who hasn't. So again, talk about a not level playing field in that regard. Right. Even if you come out completely clean right. in your sport and you've used it in the past, you already have an edge that nobody else has. Oh, KT and I talk about yeah. that all the time. I mean, He's he has rebuilt his body from 265 pounds of ripped lean muscle down to 212 pounds of ripped lean golfer. Mm-hmm. I mean, he still works out like crazy. He just does it a different way. Mm-hmm. But because that foundation was there, if he breathed on those plates the right way, he would start bulking up immediately. Those muscles have memory, and they're going to go right back to where he left them off. Yeah, yeah, and he, and even at 60, the muscle growth would be crazy, and people look at me like. There's no way at 60 years old you can put on muscle, and I'm here to tell you that is one of the biggest fallacies I've ever heard. I see it every day. 
people that do the right things that put on high-quality muscle can do it at 60. They can do it at 70. I might even venture to say that close to 80 if they're doing the right thing. I think people kind of, I, I think the reason why there's that fallacy is because a lot of people mistranslate it a little mm-hmm. bit. I think they, I think they hear, because what they're actually probably hearing that's scientifically accurate is that your explosive potential drops off, mm-hmm. but your strength potential never really dwindles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they just assume that means that translates directly to muscle. And obviously it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, there's plenty of, of men specifically that old man strength demographic of people who are ginormous and just powerful across the board, you know? So, and all I would say to that is that, you know, when people decide that they're going to go into a regimentation of training, what is exactly your goal orientation? Yeah. Because it can be different. It might not be just to have, you know, exaggerated muscle hypertrophy. It might not be to be, um, uh, I don't know, super ripped. It might be more to be in a recovery mode where, you know, you do triathlons <clears throat> in your lean, mm-hmm. but you have enough body fat on you to be a recover because you're in such high endurance demands all the time that you've got to have a little bit of that. Yeah. You know I mean, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're, as the body fat goes down, so does other things. As the body fat goes up, so do other things. The body reacts a lot like a snowball. Mm-hmm. You know, when one system is increased, all systems are increased. When one system starts to shut down, a lot of systems start to shut down. You know, it, it kind of works on the chain, just like the musculature mm-hmm. chain works yeah. the same way. So when people will, will, for example, like I just told you, I was taking the, the Ostrom uh, supplement right now. So it, it's enhanced my metabolism, which has enhanced, enhanced my cardiac output, which mm-hmm. has enhanced my pulmonary recovery. How do I know this? Because I chart all of my heart ratings on teaching spin twice a week. And again, I can reach levels of, of uh, max VO2 that I haven't touched since I was 27 years old at 61. Mm-hmm. So again, these things can be done, but you have to have the plan, the strategy, and the knowledge to make it happen. So what I would say on the back end of, the, of our PED conversation is, is that if our medical professionals, as smart as they were, they were to really look at, okay, we're going to have performance enhancers in sport. How do we help our athletes the best? I think we can make some unbelievable headways because there's a lot of people in this world that not only become better in athletics by using them, but their quality of life goes up. And I'm really glad you brought that up because we talked about that in the last step as well, where we said, Longevity is obviously measured by time on almost any binary scale, but that's the most least sensical way to measure that because it's got to be quality of life above everything else, right? I, I think if we if we if we decided to research like you know a hormonal like supplementation and things like that even half as much as we decided to research antidepressants right. or, or any other substance specifically created to deal with just how terrible society is. Let's just say, right. right. I feel like it could just be so much better for them, for a lot of people. No you and, know? and I think the other third world countries are doing some of that. Beyond. I really think they're way ahead of us when it comes to that, because mm-hmm. we have so long felt like we could do stuff on laboratory rats, but to try it on, able-bodied, healthy human beings is completely taboo. Right. And so we've lost knowledge and experience and documentation of what we could have been doing all along yeah. to be able to be up to where we need to be. 
not just in terms of winning gold medals in the Olympics, but for getting people to a point where they can actually really enjoy the way they look and feel for long periods of time. Yeah. I mean, we all have a set number of days on this earth, but the quality of life is pretty important. What's crazy is that, again, we don't even have to get into like human research, even just rat research alone. That's not being done a lot in America right now, I feel like, because of the taboo that surrounds PEDs. Almost every single research study that I have dedicated to like the long-term effects, the long-term benefits of that all come from Sweden, all come from Switzerland, all come from some type of European state, you know? It's, it's, it's crazy to me that because we decided, uh, you know, to have a congressional hearing about baseball, that we would never like delve into, delve into the benefits that that could possibly have. It's crazy. I mean, who, why shut that door completely, you know? And it's nuts to me, I guess, because again, there's so many volatile things that we do in the anti-aging community. And that one is just the one that we just can't seem to, you know, you know, be okay with. But the hypocrisy exists because we're going to sit there and jam a bunch of uh, pills down our children's throat to make them better academically using drugs that have a list of side effects that nobody wants. Yeah. That's going on right now. Yeah. But but that's not considered taboo. No, I mean. There's a warped sense of logic in this world right now, unbeknownst to anything I've seen in my 60 years on Earth. It really is. And I just want people to kind of be a little bit more open-minded, especially about things that have the term anabolic. I use the term anabolic all the time. You know what anabolic means? It means building up. Mm -hmm. I am about building people up mentally, physically, spiritually. I am about building people up. Every day, your body makes one of two moves. Either you anabolically get better every day or you catabolically go the other way every day. Mm-hmm. Now, that can be determined from stress. That can be determined from getting the eight hours sleep that you need. I can, I can go on four hours of sleep. Sure you can. You can program yourself to do any way you want to. But I'm talking about what's optimal for the body. Right. Eight right. hours of sleep, optimal for the body. A 20-minute mm-hmm. power nap, optimal for the body. Mm-hmm. Eating the amount of protein that your body can assimilate without storing as fat, optimal for the body. Mm-hmm. All these things put your body into an anabolic state opposed to a catabolic state. I want my clients, my athletes, the people that I hang with, I want them to make seven days in a row where they go all anabolic for seven days and not have one catabolic day. Mm -hmm. You know how hard that is? Do you know how many people are committed to that? Ask yourself those things. How many days have you gone beyond anabolic seven days in a row where you didn't let stress get to your ass? Mm -hmm. You ate every meal when you were supposed to. You slept the way you want to. You trained efficiently. It's not an easy task, by yeah. no means. Yeah. But I'm saying that's available for people if they will just look at it. Get yourself anabolic, not catabolic. And I think the nuanced approach to that, too, is that we have to understand that if by chance you end up doing, if you end up having a catabolic day, right, mm-hmm. that it's not over. No. You know, it's it's strength development or any type of development is not a linear progression, right? right? Mm-hmm. It's, it doesn't grow linearly. Right. There's going to be days where it is it is shitty yeah. and you just have to just keep working up to being the better you, yes. right? Tom Brady had a hell of a year last year, but he had four interceptions in one game, okay? <laughs> Superman kicks ass most of the time, but Kryptonite gets him every now and then. It's yeah. just the way life is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. All right. I think that was a great episode, guys. Awesome. Yeah. No, that, was, that, that really got uh, to some excellent yeah. content right Yeah. Right. And again, KT, this is basically part one of this, but we're going to keep going with this. So I would love it if you keep yeah. being guests on this.